All right, let the children slip out the back for Children's Church, and uh, boy, they got, he got me on early today. I'm going to have lots of time to preach, but that's okay. Um, listen, we've been looking in Romans the last few weeks, and uh, we're going to continue on in Romans chapter 2 today. Now, it, you know, over the last few weeks, we've looked at, at the heathen man. Uh, last week, we looked at the hypocrite, and this week, we're going to look at the Hebrew, uh, the Jew, and uh, see what we can, we can learn there, and... Um, but just to kind of introduce this section, uh, Phillips in his commentary says this. He says, the heathen man is a man with a perverted religion. The hypocrite is a man with a pretend religion. The Hebrew represents a man with a powerless religion. And um, the, the, the Hebrew man here represents a man that is zealous about religion, but really a stranger to Christ. And you realize, folks, that it can happen that way. You can be very zealous about religious things, but still basically be a stranger to Christ. And we know Paul. Paul can write about that. Why? Because Paul experienced that. Did he not? Turn over to Acts chapter, back to Acts, just a few pages, back to Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, uh, we, we see this idea captured uh, from, from Paul's life, starting in verse 5. It says, uh, Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So this is Paul talking, he says, he says basically, he said, you picked the most strict sect of the Pharisees, and I was in it. That's what he's saying. And now I stand in him and judge for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, under which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself uh, that I ought to, to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Paul, Paul is reliving... Uh, his conversion is coming to Christ as Savior. And, and he's, he, he's, he's speaking to Agrippa here, and he says, basically, listen, Agrippa, I, I was a zealous religious man. I, but I, I was wrong. I was fighting against Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he says. He says, not only was I fighting against him, he said, I was putting his followers in prison and giving my okay for them to be put to death. That's what Paul says. So if anybody understands the idea that you can be zealous about religion and be far from Christ, it's Paul. And that's what we're going to look at today. You, you may look today and say, okay, we're going to look at the Jew today. Well, I'm not a Jew. I'm not Jewish, so none of this applies to me. Well, all of it applies to you <laughs> because we can have the same issue in our life. The Scripture does not come up vain. It, even though it's speaking in this particular case to the Jew, the idea is still there. We can be religious all day long 
and not have the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, folks, there are churches meeting all over the world today that are religious in name, but there is no fellowship with Christ. But they're meeting. They're zealous. They're talking a good talk. <laughs> but they're not walking with the Savior. And the same can be true in our life. We must be careful. So as we get into this, we look at number one, Roman number one here, the position of the Jewish man. Notice what it says in verse 17 of chapter 2. It says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast in God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. So Paul basically says to him, that this, this is your thinking. The, the Jew had access to the truths of God, and so because of that, the Jew had the, the law. They had the law of God. And, and, and with that law, they took rest in the fact that I'm okay. Because I got the law. I'm a Jew. And so I'm good. And, and, and they began to, 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 to believe and take confidence in their position when it comes to salvation simply because they were a Jew and had the law. And, and so that's where they were taking their, their position in. But the problem is, the position of the Jewish man doesn't save the Jewish man. The fact that he's a Jew, the fact that he has the law, as we're going to look at a little bit later in this chapter, the fact that he was circumcised, none of those things brought salvation. But the Jew took confidence in those things. He was confident in his religion for his salvation. What a mistake. And so Paul begins into this section and he states eight facts that demonstrate the self-confidence that the Jewish man had. What he was building his confidence in, what he was putting his trust in. The problem is, folks, when you put your trust in the wrong things, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. I remember one time reading an illustration talking about I climbed the ladder of success one rung at a time, rung by rung, working my way up the ladder of success only to reach the top and found out I leaned the ladder against the wrong building. Now that's kind of comical, but that's what happens sometimes, folks. We build our lives, put our trust, put our faith in the wrong things when they should be putting our trust in the Lord putting our faith in the Lord, putting our faith in His finished work on the cross. But instead, like the Jewish man, we sometimes put our faith and our, our trust in our religiosity. Well, I'm a good Baptist. I go to church. I must be okay. No. Doesn't make you okay, folks. But we do that sometimes, don't we? We put our trust in... In, in, a, in a position that really doesn't help us. So Paul's going to draw attention to this, in, in particular with the Jewish man, and he says, he says, here's what you say. He says, number one, you call yourself a Jew. He says, number two, you rely on the law. He says, number three, you brag about your relationship to God. He says, number four, you, you think you know His will. 
Number five, he says you, you approve what is superior to approve. He says you are instructed by the law. You are convinced that you have come so far that you now have the ability to teach others. And he says, you have in the law all knowledge and truth at your disposal. This is how the Jew approached life. He basically thought, I'm a Jew, I've got the law, I'm good. I'm set. I can even teach others. No, that's what he says here. He says in, he says in this verse, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind. A light to them in darkness. He, he says, you're so full of yourself that you've got it together that you think you're going to go out and lead the blind somewhere. You're going to be a light in a dark world, is what Paul's saying. But he's trying to help them understand, remember, what are these first chapters of Romans about? It's about Paul trying to show the heathen, the hypocrite, the Jew, and all mankind that what? He needs a Savior. That's what these first chapters are about. Every Basically, in that classification of people, the heathen, the hypocrite, the Jew, and all mankind, Paul is showing all of us, all throughout history, that we have need of a Savior because of our sin. And before Paul gets into the other parts of Romans where he deals with the sin issue, he's got to make sure man understands, I'm a sinner. I have a sin issue. And so that's what Paul is doing here. And so that's Roman number one, the position of the Jewish man from his perspective, what he thinks of himself. Roman number two, the indictment against the Jewish man. The indictment against you. That's what he thinks of himself. I've got the law. I've got this relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm even going to brag about it. I'm going to brag about that relationship. I'm, I, I've come so far, I can instruct other people. I can lead the blind. I can, I can be the light in the dark world. And Paul says this in verse 21. He says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through, the, through breaking the law, dishonest thou God? So Paul asks five questions, rhetorical questions, basically. He, sa he, 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 says, he says, listen, he says, what's happening here is you are not practicing what you preach. That's <laughs> what Paul says. That's what he says. He, he basically gives these rhetorical questions to show them that they are saying, do as I say, not as I do. Wrong place to be, folks. But don't we live that way sometimes? It's easy, isn't it? It's easy sometimes to deal with somebody else's sin problem, isn't it? To tell them what they need to do to fix their sin problem. What they need to do to get themselves right with God. What they need to do to be walking the path the way the Lord wants them to do. But when it comes to us, it's a whole different story. We can talk the talk. We can tell somebody else the right way to go, but we don't practice what we preach. That's tough sometimes. So what Paul does is he asks them this, this series of questions. He, he says, you teach others, do you teach yourself? You know, you're, you're concerned about other people with the law. What about the law when it pertains to you? That's what Paul said. He says, you preach against stealing, but do you go out and steal? You preach against adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you, do you, do you commit sacrilege, going to rob temples of idols? 
You, you brag about the law, but do you break the law? Now, Paul knew the answer to these questions. Why? Because man cannot keep the law. That's the whole point here. These guys have put all their eggs in one basket, and that basket was called the law. And the Jewish man was like, I got it together because I got the law. The problem is, folks, we can't keep the law. And God knew we couldn't keep the law. That's why when God handed down the law, folks, he also handed down the plans to the tabernacle. Because he knew man was going to have to go somewhere to deal with the fact that he couldn't keep the law. If God expected man to keep the law and not have any problems with keeping the law, we didn't need a tabernacle. But God knew man could not keep the law. And so the plans for the tabernacle were given. A place what? Where blood was shed day and night to cover the sins of man until Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood. That's what the tabernacle was about. And so, so Paul is trying to show uh, the Jewish man here that you are, you are resting in the fact that you have the law but it's not going to help you like you think. That's what Paul's trying to help them understand. Understand, folks, there are people in churches today that go to church today and are going to go home thinking they're on their way to heaven because they went to church today, because they were religious. But religiosity doesn't save us. Religiosity doesn't take us to church. Now, should we go to church? Absolutely we should. Because God tells us in his word not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So yes, we should go to church. But, but to think that because I went to church, I'm on an okay relationship with God, that doesn't work, folks. And that's what Paul is trying to help the Jewish man understand. Well, what's the result of that? Paul tells him. He says, the result of how you live the way that you, you, you take your rest in these facts brings about a terrible result. And he gives us the result in verse 24. He says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Now folks, those words had to cut like a knife. Because he's talking to Jews who thought they were special because they were God's chosen people. We got the law. I've got it made. And Paul says, your lifestyle brings blasphemy to God. That's what Paul says. That's strong. That's strong, folks. And so we must ask ourselves today, <laughs> what about my lifestyle? Does my lifestyle, the way I live, bring blasphemy to God? Now, where did this thought come from? Well, this thought didn't originate with Paul. This thought originated with God all the way back in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah chapter 52. Because what Paul says here is really a combination from two different passages of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 52 and starting in verse 1. He says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come unto thee <coughs> the uncircumcised and unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught, 
and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name is continually, or my name continually every day is what? Blasphemed. God says, my people went into Egypt because of their sin. And he said, because they went into Egypt because of their sin, my name is blasphemed every day. See, folks, that's having a form of religion but not being in a right relationship with God. That's what he's talking about here. We turn over to Ezekiel 36. Kind of a combination of these two passages. Ezekiel chapter 36 and starting verse 20, uh, 22. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22 says this. It says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. What does God say? He said again, because of your sin, my name has been blasphemed before the heathen. And what does God say he's going to do? He's going to write his name. That's what he's going to do. He's going to fix what they had undone. He's going to fix his holy name because they had lived with the religion without a relationship. They didn't have the relationship with God that they should have had. And so we see, first of all, the position of the Jewish man from his perspective. Second of all, we see the indictment against the Jewish man. Third, we see that uh, the idea of ritual versus reality of the Jewish man. Let's go back to our passage in Romans chapter 3 here and uh, see what we can understand about this. Ritual versus reality of the Jewish man. Verse 25. He says, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now that's a mouthful, folks. So let's talk about what is he saying there? What is Paul doing? So the Jewish man took his confidence in the fact that he was a Jew and he had the law and God had made a covenant with the Jew and the Jew, because of that covenant with God, the males got circumcised. And so it was in that circumcision that they believed that they were doing the right thing by God and so God was going to bless everything in their life, basically. That's how they looked at it. And and so Paul says to them, He says, you know, yes, circumcision is of vital importance to you as a Jew. But for it to have any practical value, you have to keep the law, which was, again, an impossibility. That's what Paul says. 
He says, he says, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. He says, listen, if your commitment to God is so strong and you demonstrate that by your circumcision and you're so committed to God that you're able to keep the law, then your circumcision profiteth you. So what's he saying on the opposite of that then? If you don't keep the whole law, your circumcision is worthless. That's what he's saying. So what's Paul, what's Paul saying? He's saying circumcision served as a commitment to obedience to God, not as a lifesaver. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying when, when you were circumcised, he said you are committing to obey God. We would call today yielding or surrendering our life to God. That's what it was a picture of. But the Jew was taking it as his lifesaver for salvation. And Paul's saying it's not how it works. He's saying it's a picture of your commitment to God. Listen, the, the Jewish man was so misled often by his own religious leaders. Some of the rabbis would have statements like, circumcision will deliver Israel from Gehenna. In other words, you get circumcised, it's going to keep you out of hell. That's what the rabbi would teach. Why? Because it was religion, not relationship. See, folks, there are religions all over the world today that practice religion. What can I do? Can I beat myself on the back enough times? Can I, as we talked about before uh, with Martin Luther, can I climb up the steps on my knees enough times? Can I do this enough times? Can I do that enough times? If I, if I bloody my back by beating myself, can I do that enough times that it's going to appease God? The problem with all those things is those are works that have no relationship with God. That's the problem. Now, we may not be so extreme today. We may not have anybody here that's going home beating themselves on the back till they bleed or crawling upstairs on their knees and all that kind of stuff. We may not have, may we not have, may not have anybody here today that's doing that, but we still sometimes live like we're trying to work our way to heaven. If I can be religious enough, if I can say the right things enough, if I can do enough, I'm good. That was what the Jewish man thought. And it wasn't the case. So Paul makes two statements. Basically, he says, if you're circumcised and break the law, you are as though you weren't circumcised. And then he says, if those that are uncircumcised keep the law, then he asks the question, won't they be regarded as circumcised? So he's basically turning it both ways on him. He's saying, he's saying, listen, if you are circumcised and you break the law, it's just like you really weren't circumcised. But he says if you're not circumcised, somebody who's a Gentile who's not circumcised, but he keeps the law, wouldn't he be regarded as he was, if he was circumcised? So Paul puts it both ways so they can't argue either point. Because Paul's trying to, again, what? Show man that he needs a Savior. So what is Paul doing for us today? Because we don't deal with this circumcision issue today, but we do deal with a yielding to Christ today. We do deal with submitting ourselves to Him today. So the crux of the matter, what Paul is dealing with today, is the reality of having a true relationship with God, not simply just ritual. See, so many churches today, folks, are practicing ritual. They are. There's churches all over the world that are practicing ritual today, tradition today. Things that the church has created, not what God wants. What does God want? He wants a relationship with us. 
That's what he wants. He wants us to call him Father. He wants us to trust in the shed blood of his son on the cross. That's what God wants. So can that happen? Can we, can we, can we go to church? Can we, can we proclaim the name of God and not have a relationship with him? Well, absolutely we can. Because in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13, the scripture says this. It says, with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Now that's a condemning passage of scripture, folks. God is saying, listen, you can honor me with your lips. You can talk a good game. That's putting it in modern day English. You can talk a good game. You can honor me with your lips, but you can live with your heart far from me. See, that's the message for us today, folks. Do, do, we, do we honor God with just our lip service? Or is it something real? That's what we have to ask ourselves today. And it wasn't just something from the Old Testament because Jesus deals with that same issue in Matthew chapter uh, 15 and starting in verse 7. He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now I want you to notice what the phrase in the middle of that verse, because it is powerful, folks. Jesus Christ Himself, in rebuking the religious leaders of His day, said, but in vain they do worship me. Now catch that, folks. Our worship can be worthless. Now we don't want to hear that. We don't like to hear that. I don't ever want to think that my worship of God is worthless. It's vanity. But Jesus Christ says, when you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, your worship is worthless. Now, nobody wants to come to church today and think, what we do in worship, it's worthless. It's worth nothing. Nobody comes to church thinking that way. Nobody comes to church hoping that way. We want to come to church and worship God as He should be worshipped in all His glory. But He says if you're just doing it with your lips and you're not doing it with your heart, it's worthless. So why even do it? Well, folks, I'm telling you this today. There could be thousands of churches across the world today that could shut their doors forever and it would never make an impact because their worship is worthless. Their worship is worthless. So Paul is really trying to help us understand that there is a huge problem when ritual and tradition is put higher than relationship. We can have some ritual, folks. We can have some tradition. We have traditions. Even in Baptist churches, we have traditions. We sing one song, then we do this, then we sing two songs, then we do that. that those are traditions. That, you're not going to find that in Scripture. That's just tradition that we've come. Why do we sing four hymns on Sunday morning? Because that's our tradition here at our church. We typically sing four hymns on a Sunday morning. If next week we come in and sing three hymns, there'd be people like, where's the fourth hymn? You know, because, why? Because it's our tradition to sing four hymns. Nothing wrong with tradition unless singing four hymns becomes more important than God. Then singing four hymns is a problem. 
Because tradition doesn't trump relationship. And so we have to understand, Paul is saying, you are resting in the wrong thing for your life. You are trusting in the wrong thing. <coughs> you think you've arrived just because you're a Jew. That's what Paul's saying. And so then Paul goes into chapter 3, and he does an examination of the religious objection that he knew would come. <laughs> because Paul was smart enough to understand, they're not going to like what I'm saying. And they're going to object to it. So Paul deals with it head on, and he deals with their objection before they can even voice it. And that's what he does in the first eight verses of chapter 3. Now, if you know your Bible, we're into Romans chapter 3, and we know in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where are we heading, folks? Here's where we're heading. Paul has dealt with the heathen. He's dealt with the hypocrite. Now today he's doing it with the Hebrew, the Jewish man. And guess where he's going next? All of mankind. Because Paul is trying to establish the fact that every man needs a Savior. That's where we're heading. But we're still here with the Hebrew man today. First eight verses of chapter 3 still deal with the Hebrew man. Notice what Paul says. As he anticipated their objection. He says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. It, so, so what does he say in verse 1 here? If what Paul says is true, then there is not any benefit to God's covenant with Israel. That's what the argument would be. The argument would be, well, if what you say is right, Paul, then what benefit is there to us being a Jew? That's their argument. So Paul answers that argument. What does he say? He says the benefit is that you got the oracles of God. You got the law. You got the scriptures. You got them first. That's what Paul says. He says there is a benefit to being a Jew. And the benefit is you're God's chosen people and he gave you the law first. That's the benefit. Not that it saves you. That was answer number one. Then verse 3 to 4. Notice what it says. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when they are judged. So ob objection number two is this. If what you say is right, Paul, if it's true, then the Jew's unbelief means God is not faithful to the Jew. And Paul says, God is faithful to the Jew, though they rejected Him. Even our unrighteousness will ultimately declare His righteousness. Why? How? When we get judged. God in His holiness will judge one day and His righteousness will be declared. And so he says, listen, let God be true and every man a liar. He says, if this is your argument that, that some Jews won't believe, so that means God must not be faithful, he says, then let God be true and every other man a liar. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, if God says one thing and every man in the world says another... God is true, and all men are false. <laughs> and I think that's a good way to put it, folks. If, if God says something in His Word, and the entire world tells you that something different, it's God that's right, and it's the world that's wrong. And I can tell you there's a lot of that in society today. Because there's people that hate this book with a passion. 
and they hate what it has to say. But this book is true, and the world is false. Verse 5. Next objection that Paul knew would come. It says, but our, our right, unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? Basically they say, listen, if my unrighteousness declares God's righteousness, how can God judge me? God can bring good out of evil. So if God's going to bring good out of evil, isn't that a good thing? So I should just live evil. Because God's going to bring good out of evil. Well, that's not how it works, folks. What does he say? He says, God forbid. What would be an example of that? Well, what about Judas? What about Judas' wicked, evil life? He sold the Lord. Sold him out. One of his followers sold him out. So he could do what? So he could go to the cross and shed his blood for your sins and mine. So does that right all the wrong that Judas did? Should Judas not be held accountable for his actions? Absolutely he should be held accountable for his actions. Did God use those actions to further what he needed to further? Sure he did. But that doesn't let Judas off the hook, folks. Just because God will get glory in the end doesn't mean we live any way we want to now. That's what Paul says. He says, God forbid. God forbid. And then finally, verses 7 and 8. He says, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that say, Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Some would then say, Let us do evil that good can come out of it. And Paul doesn't even answer that absurdity in that question. He simply declares this, Their condemnation... Their damnation is just. It's just. For anybody to think that way, that I'll just live my life any way I want to live it, <coughs> because somehow in the end, God's going to get the glory for it, he says their condemnation by God is just. So where does that leave us today, folks? Well, it leaves us looking at the Jewish man, but not just the Jewish man. We must look at ourselves our own life, and ask ourselves, do I put my faith and trust in my position, in my religiosity, in my going to church, in my paying my tithe, in my, you plug in whatever you want to plug in that makes you feel good about religion. Am am I putting my faith and trust and life into that? Or am I putting my faith and trust and life into the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross? That's the question we have to ask today. Because Paul is making sure we understand that salvation is not found in tradition and ritual. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that each one of us in this room has that relationship today. But sometimes even within that relationship, folks, we can put our faith and trust other places. Even though we're saved, we still can put our faith and trust in other things. And we need to learn that that's powerless. That's what Paul's really talking about today. He's talking about a powerless religion. He's putting all your eggs in one basket, and the basket is the wrong basket. 
That's what he's talking about. Do we have the kind of relationship with the Lord that we should have? Have every head bowed, every eye closed as we come to the end of the service today. It's so interesting to me as I'm I'm working my way through Romans, preparing these messages, how Paul is trying to deal with every group of people that lived in society at the point in time in which he wrote. He dealt with the heathen who just lived however. He dealt with the hypocrite. Now he's dealing with the Hebrew guy who thinks he's got it. And then he's going to deal with all of mankind. All trying to do the same thing, trying to, before he paints the picture of what Romans is about, before he paints the picture of that salvation that can come from God, before he lays out much of the doctrine which we live by to this day, before he does all that, he wants man to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he paints this picture so that no man has excuse. Remember, that's what the scriptures told us in some of the previous studies we were in, so that you are without excuse, you're inexcusable. You can never claim, I didn't know. Where do we stand today? Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask Judy to begin to play just for a couple minutes. Maybe you need to do business with God. The altar is open today. I, I encourage you just to take a look at your heart today. Do, God, do you have a relationship with God, or is everything about your relationship with God built on religion, built on tradition, built on ritual, or is there a true relationship with God? That's what we need to ask ourselves today while Judy plays.